and welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and we have a treat for you. On today's podcast, we are discussing a new book that shares some good news for women, You Improve with Age. Dr. Luann Brizendine's new book, The Upgrade, details how the female brain actually gets better in the time of life typically known as menopause. So we're going to delve into the hormonal changes that can actually help our productivity and why you can look forward to your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond. That's right, ladies. Your best days are ahead. Dr. Luann Brizendine is a neuropsychiatrist and author of the new book, The Upgrade. She's the Lynn and Mark Benioff Endowed Chair in Clinical Psychiatry at the University of California, San Francisco, founder of UCSF's Women's Mood and Hormone Clinic, and best-selling author of the two books, The Female Brain and The Male Brain. Dr. Brizendine, it's a pleasure to have you on She Thinks today. Thanks for having me, Beverly. I'm really excited to talk with your audience and with you. And I'm excited about this topic. I started reading your book. It's already very informative. I was glad I could talk to you because I am 42. I'm entering into those years known as menopause. And I think a lot of women like myself, we wonder if we should be facing in this with dread, if we should be fearful of it. So I think your book gives encouragement. Before we get into what you have learned and what we can all learn about our brain and what it means for us as we get older, I would love to hear just a little bit about your background as a neuropsychiatrist. How did you get into this field and have you been surprised by your findings over the years? Well, I got into the field and it kind of, you know, you have, you, you know how you back into your career somehow and so whatever, you just find something that's really fascinating. And I became really obsessed as an undergraduate with like hormones and behavior because a lot of my professors at UC Berkeley were doing at that time, the groundbreaking research into the behavioral effects of all kinds of hormones, especially testosterone and sex drive. And of course, when you're 19 or 20, what else, what else is better than knowing about sex drive at any rate? So the, um, the remember the purpose of a hormone is to cause a behavior. And so that always just fascinated me because there's um, all kinds of aspects of hormones that have behavioral effects and mood effects and emotional effects and all kinds of things that are really important to know about. And so that's what I've been researching for all of my career. And then when I went back to do my medical school at Yale, I was in my third year and um, I was doing my rotation in psychiatry and um, was reading all the literature and found out that the depression rate in women was two to one over men. Wow. And I was shocked by that, especially when I found out that it was a one to one ratio in childhood. And then it didn't start to go to the two to one until like 13, 14 years old. And I thought to myself that remember there weren't very many women in the field when I was starting out, but they, my, my obvious life was like, well, hello, what starts then the menstrual part period starts then. So the fluctuating hormones start then. So I became obsessed with that. And I've been working with that, the hormone effects in the brain and the female brain in particular for the rest of my career. And then starting the women's mood and hormone clinic. When I, after I finished my residency and some faculty work at Harvard, I came out to UCSF in San Francisco. So I've been there ever since doing that work. And you had great success, New York Times bestselling author for the female brain and the male brain. Can you just give us a synopsis on how in these books you explain that women and men think very differently? Well, I think, you know, let's, let's take, let's get a little nerded out here yeah, just a little please. bit. Let's just, let's like rewind the tape here. When the minute the sperm is, you know, going towards that egg, if the sperm is carrying an X chromosome, then of course the fetus will be XX. That'll be female. If it's carrying a Y, it will go scurrying and, and make a YXY male. And at eight weeks of fetal life, the tiny testicles in the male 
start to pump out huge amounts of testosterone that marinates the body and brain. It changes the body and the brain into male, male circuitry, male genitals, etc. If it, if female XX develops unperturbed by testosterone for those nine months. So we each pop out with kind of our wiring and our genitals made for whatever sex our sex hormones are going to have us be. So that's just how it's, that's the basics. And as we pop out, remember for the first year and a half, the male continues to pump out a lot of testosterone from the testicles in the, in the boy. Sometimes anybody, any of you mothers out there have had a baby boy, you know that they're born with these kind of very big puffy red testicles that they're, cause they're, they've been very active and they're continuing to be active for about the first year and a half of the baby's life. It's a time called infantile puberty and the girls for the first time, the switch gets thrown on our ovaries to start making almost adult woman levels of estrogen for the first two years of our life. So if you're, right. you're looking at a little one or two, year old girl you know you're not realizing that you know, she's she has a lot of estrogen and they don't know really what infantile puberty's purpose is the hypothesis is it's something to do with like kind of finishing the finishing touches to all of the fertility um, communication between the body and the brain so something's happening and then remember we have childhood in childhood is a time that and, you know, humans particularly have childhood. Lots of animals don't have something called childhood. But childhood, we have about the same. Our, our hormones are really, really low, low, low for both males and females. And males and females both have a small amount of estrogen, a small amount of testosterone during the childhood years until ping, ping, ping from the pituitary down to the ovary starts to wake up the ovaries or ping, ping, ping down to the testicles starts to wake up the testicles and make either testosterone or estrogen. So that of course we know ends up with the rock and roll of puberty. You probably all remember puberty or actually most of us would like to forget puberty. Forget it. It's always that awkward stage of life for sure. Yes. <laughs> and so it's very interesting. So you show these distinct differences between men and women. And I think I, I often hear friends say this, men always get better with age. And I know a lot of times we're thinking about the outside and how we look and that women are on the decline, especially once they hit 40, when that's when men are hitting their peak. I think it's fascinating that you've studied this from just the mental capacity and what has it meant for women once they're approaching menopause, once they're in menopause, what have you found really happens to the woman's brain at that point in time when obviously estrogen is changing, so much is changing in their bodies? Exactly. So what you have to look forward to, and I know you're just barely entering the th age 38 to 42 is what I call the kind of the, it's the pre-transition. And I've re I've renamed them into pre-transition because into transition and upgrade because the technical medical terminology is perimenopause, which is really about an illness. It's not really about um, the whole woman's experience going through the transition. And it's not about then once the menopause ha hits with no more periods, from that time on, it's not just about postmenopause, which is really a medical diagnosis. It's basic the whole woman effect. It's really an upgrade. And the reason that I call it the upgrade is because we are not being pushed and pulled by our hormones every single week of the month like we are during the fertility cycle. So that fertility cycle that ends up actually the first two weeks of our period we're building all kinds of circuitry in parts of our brain. It's sprouting and sprouting and connecting. And then the last two weeks of our cycle, the progesterone comes around and tears all that down. 
So it's almost like we're our pathway during the fertility years, we're walking along a path that's right next to the tide line. The tide comes in and it washes everything away that just got built up and then it starts over again. So we're constantly being pushed and pulled, pushed and pulled in terms of our brain circuitry, which hmm. at the upgrade at the menopause stage when there's no more periods, we are able, we're walking on a path that's higher up the hill. We're more steady, stable. We can see things much, much more clearly. We're on a firmer terra firma at that stage. We're not getting everything washed away and built up and washed away. So I think that women who get a whole new purpose at that stage of life, you know, have a lot more um, like both feet on the ground and stability without this wash. So that's why it's, it's ladies, it is it is really going to be an upgrade. You have a few years to get through the, the transition, sure. which can kind of push and pull you quite a lot. Because remember that stage that a lot of us like to forget about called the PMS stage, that, that day or two before we start our periods, about 80 or 90% of women or more have had that feeling. And in my clinic, we call it the days of the crying over dog food commercials. For sure. I can relate. Like, at the drop, <laughs> right at the drop of a hat, Beverly. I mean, we can just like boohoo or things that like things that someone does that irritate us. It, they might annoy us at other day, days of the month, but on those days, it can feel like fingernails on the chalkboard. You know, you just yeah. feel like, like you like to strangle someone, you know, all kinds of intense emotions come out during that period. And that is because the rapid hormone changes right before the blood flow starts with a huge like drop off in progesterone, which is actually the Valium of the brain is what we call progesterone. And then all of a sudden it's gone, boom, it's gone. And you get really irritable and you can be very tearful. So that's the reason I focus on that right now is that that can happen in erratically during all kinds of days of the month during what we call the perimenopause or the transition. Right. You can kind of get jerked around during different days. I think as long as you know that it's going to happen and you have your own skill set, you have your own toolbox, your own toolbox on how to how to deal with those. A lot of women are found, find that it's a nice time of life in your about four, age 45 to 55 is when like the majority of women go through the whole the whole transition and go into the uh, upgrade to the menopause at that time. So that can that's the basic of like about, you know, if you look at the bell shaped curve, that's the majority of women will be doing it then. Although 7% of women do it before age 45. Wow. And then about five or six percent after fifty-five. So there's a there's okay. some you know if you're in wide range, I don't think it's not normal. It's just that you're not happening in that in that group. So at any rate, the good news is also no more periods. You don't right. have to cramps or walk down that aisle in the grocery store, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, all kinds of cool things. You don't have to worry about you know all the stuff we have to worry about with with periods and all that. So well, let's talk about getting to that menopause stage. So we've kind of gone from, uh, you know, conception to birth to puberty. Then you get to, for a woman, you go through the fertility years and you go through menopause. And so you're now at the stage of you're at the level place of the brain. You're not crying more at a certain time of month, or as I like to call it, the time when my husband doesn't like to be around me as much because <laughs> I can cry about anything at that point. But yes. once you get to this leveling out, how should one utilize the fact that there is a more steady brain function there? Your hormones aren't pulling you at the same way. Is this a time of opportunity? And is it something where women just automatically are going to have a better brain activity and be able to be more productive and have more clarity? Or is it something that has to be worked on? You know, I think that it comes as a really pleasant surprise. So let's go back. And as I talk about in the book, I'll take you, you can figure out which stage you're in by different, different. So that I take you through in the book of what I call the, the pre-transition 38 to 42, 
you know, that in that range or in age 42 to 45 or six is what I call the early transition period. And that's when you may be waking up a little hot some nights of the week or that feeling of after you've worked done your usual workout or something, some exercise that you do, you're really surprised that you're not cooling down as fast mm. as you used to. And so that can be a big surprise to some people. But that's basically because the thermostat in your brain is set by estrogen. And changes in the estrogen changes that thermostat. I'll give you an example. If you're in a group of people in a room and someone changes the temperature by 10 degrees, they put it up 10 degrees. Well, maybe, yeah, most people in that room might feel pretty, might feel hot and start to take off a layer or something like that. However, when you're in the, when the hormones start to change, the estrogen starts to change during the, the um, transition perimenopause time, what happens is if they change the temperature one degree, nobody else is going to feel hot, but you're going to be sweating. So at any rate, that thermostat in the brain, for some reason, reasons we don't quite scientifically understand yet, all of a sudden feels like it's all of a sudden hot when, you know, objectively, it's not really hot, but it's feeling hot and you're going to sweat. You're going to have hot flashes, hot sweats, or that can go on at night when the covers are on you. You might not usually feel hot and then you got to throw them off and et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that usually happens um, a few times a week during that, that first stage of the early transition like age like 42 to 46 and then 46 to, to 50 in that mid transition stage or 46 to 49 that that is when you're maybe having a heavy sometimes heavier bleeding and the mm. reason we get heavier bleeding is because the the ovulation doesn't happen every month we don't make a new egg every single month we have what's called eggless cycles a lot during that phase and all of a sudden this beautiful choreography between the pituitary and the ovary is breaking down because the ovary is the pituitary is like a conductor of a symphony it's it likes to to scream at different instruments of the organs in the body that make hormones that aren't playing loudly enough and so it's starting to scream pituitary do you i mean estrogen please come out of the ovary and screams very loudly but the ovary is saying i'm re- i'm retiring i'm ready to retire i'm done with this egg stuff you know and it's not giving you enough estrogen so then all of a sudden though one day it's will squirt out a huge dose of estrogen for a couple of days during this transition so some days you'll have even more more breast tenderness or you're making more blood and you can start to have like heavy flow uh, that you end up getting during this day. So there's all kinds of reasons for that. So I think women that are listening should know this is that you're probably what you're going through is completely normal. I mean, I have a good doctor that you have a good relationship with during this phase or take your take your girlfriend or your sister or somebody with you because it's a confusing time because there's all of these things kind of going every which way and you just need someone to say, okay, this is what's happening and this is what you can do about it. Here's your tool. I'm going to give you a new tool. I'm going to give you a new toolbox of tools. And you're not crazy. Right. To fix this. Right. (laughs) And you're not crazy. You're You're not not crazy, crazy, which is an important thing. And so as we though get into this stage where things do level out, what tips do you give? I know you you talk in the book about just practical tips on how to manage this time well and why we should look forward to it. What are some of those things once we get to that stage of leveling out that really are beneficial? Well, there's, there's a lot of things about this. I mean, first of all, you know, biology is destiny unless you know what it's doing to you. So that leveling out that's going to happen for you that you need to know about and the kinds of things are that um, basically um, be delighted and surprised at the increased energy you have, the better sleep that you have, and also know that 
you're just the energy that you have for focusing on new projects or finding a new purpose or a new direction, you know, can be something that feels sort of surprising to you at this stage. You're kind of thinking like, well, I thought I was done already, but now I've got all of these really cool things that I want to, I still want to do. So you feel like you have a real tailwind. And I just say that women need to know how to seize it and to be like, you know, feeling in themselves that kind of increased power and a newfound clarity and really to embrace it. So I, I, I give you lots of tips in the in the book, like in chapters five and six, where I talk about the, you know, the neuroscience of self-care and all kinds of tips about how to also keep your brain in tip top shape through this whole second half of life. Well, I wanted to take a quick break to ask our audience a question. So here it is. Are you a conservative woman? Do you feel problematic just for existing in today's political landscape? If so, I have something for you. Every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen sort through the news to bring you stories and interviews that are of particular interest to you. A problematic woman, that is a woman whose opinions are often excluded or even mocked by those on the so-called pro-women left. Lauren and Virginia break down the news you care about in an upbeat and sharp Way So search for Problematic Women wherever you get your podcast. Now, Dr. Brizendine, I want to talk just briefly about some of those things as tips to really help you in this stage where we really have to take care of our health. Uh, you talk in the book about the need to exercise, eat well, the importance of sleep. All of those things are what we hear about in general life. Is there anything else? And then those are all important, but is there anything else in addition to that you think it's really important for women to follow during the years post-menopause? So I, I'll share with you one of the really cool science stories of a, of a big study that was looking at 80-year-old women. And those women who had the best cognition in that group also had the best leg strength. Huh. So surprise, surprise, something about having strong muscles also correlates correlates to having a strong brain. So I think that that gives you an example of things like if you keep the muscle strength and we know the muscles communicate with the brain through the nerves and the nervous system, but also the brain, the, the muscles squeeze out some specific compounds when they're working out or when they're, you know, exercising that actually goes to the bloodstream that, that, that communicates with the brain and keeps the brain functioning better and keeps it quote unquote kind of younger and, and, and firing on all cylinders. So I, I recently, um, so I say to women, one of the things you can do um, is to just to make sure that you keep your leg strength good, but that one of the biggest muscles in your body, and I put a little thing on TikTok recently about this, about a little brain tip for women. And if you keep your squeezing your glutes, like the thousand butt squeezes a day, sounds really silly way to kind of keep your brain in shape, but it really does because it's something that's communicating with your brain. And a thousand butt squeezes a day is one silly little thing. But, you know, there are lots of those things that are, there are tips that I go through and the scientific reasons behind them to try to keep all of you, including your brain, most importantly, your brain, your female brain, in great shape. And something you also talk about, and that is the importance of eating well. So eliminating sugar, you talk about inflammation, and also something that I think Americans definitely have a problem with when you see the studies and the data behind it, drinking too much alcohol. What do you have to say about alcohol? Women have heard for so long that, oh, well, a glass of red wine a day helps you tremendously. Is that the case? 
Well, first of all, you have to always look at who's paying for these studies. Okay, right. <laughs> you know, the, co- the coffee industry pays for the coffee studies and the alcohol industry pays for the alcohol and the chocolate industry pays for the chocolate studies. So, uh, okay, we, we all we all know this, right? We're not we're not stupid. <laughs> so but be that as it may. So there's if you think of a really stable stool, right? A stable stool has to have at least three legs. So the three-legged principles to keeping all of yourself together and strong are, number one is the diet, having a really healthy Mediterranean diet that keeps your inflammation in your whole body down and keeps it low because inflammation is very bad for your brain. And alcohol can also cause lots of inflammation. The the other pillar of that is, of course, your exercise and keeping your muscles strong. Because remember, we start, we all, males and females, start to lose their muscle strength at about age 35, and it goes down a little bit every year after that. So to keep it from going down too far, you need to keep using those muscles. And the third little stool leg is really important. It is sleep. Mm. And it is because, you know, in during the daytime hours, our brain is all these little neurons in your brain are talk, 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 talking to each other. They're problem solving all day. They're doing all the stuff we do all day. And they're throwing all kinds of little protein garbage everywhere. So it's like the garbage in the brain accumulates during the day. And then at night, all these little nerve cells in the brain kind of shrink back and leave these spaces in between where all the fluid can come hose out, just hoses out the garbage. But if you don't sleep, those little spaces don't appear and you don't get the garbage hosed out at night when you sleep. So really to constantly refresh your brain every night, you really, really have to focus on getting deep sleep. Two of the things that interrupt sleep the most are alcohol and caffeine. So especially for the female brain, if we have a, if we have a strong cup of coffee at noon, it's still in our blood, it's still in our bloodstream at midnight. So, you know, see if you can cut it down and don't drink any after 12 noon. The alcohol story is a little kind of the opposite in a way. You should probably have your alcohol at 12 noon. <laughs> so maybe yeah. swap this out. Because what happens with the alcohol is that um, two or three hours after you drink alcohol, it kind of does make you go sleep, makes you sleepier. But as soon as it metabolizes out of your body, it wakes your brain up. So you might mm. sleep for two hours and then you're waking up in the middle of the night. And that's really interrupting your sleep. Plus, you know, it causes more inflammation. And those women, it's, they've, they've correlated it with it's a correlation with breast cancer in women too. Sure. alcohol, even one drink a day there. So they don't want to they don't want to say that. I mean, it's surprising, but that is the data that even one drink a day can cause you uh, an increased um, possibility of having breast cancer. So we don't want that. And have you found the sleep, you're talking about the importance of sleep and and how that helps the brain, because women have different brain functions than men, or maybe a better way to say that is, I find women multitask more. There's a lot they're thinking about all the time. Men can typically, and this is a generalization, be a little bit more focused and focus on one thing at a time. Does that mean that women need sleep more than men in order to flush out their brain? Well, I think everybody needs to flush out their brain for sure. And I don't know whether the, you know, during, during the teenage years and during puberty, males tend to like go to sleep an hour later and wake up an hour later. They have a slightly different what's called chronobiology, which huh. basically is a fancy word for your circadian rhythm. And females tend to like go to sleep maybe, um, you know, a little bit earlier and wake up a little bit earlier. And that usually disappears. That sex difference usually disappears by the late 20s, but it, it can definitely persist in some way. So there are some sleep differences, but I, all, all people need to, you know, the flushing out of the brain from the garbage, it definitely happens with males and females. And remember, males don't have the experience of like having their hormones fall off a cliff at 50, whereas they start to lose their testosterone levels between 30 and 35, males start to go down a few percent every year. Mm. 
and you know theirs doesn't like dramatically drop, but then it drops. The drop starts to drop, you know, quite a lot in your in their fifties, sixties, and seventies. Right. But it's a it's a slower it's a slower tilt to the curve to go down. And you know, males still have remember. The, the eggs, we're only given about a million eggs, females, and we ovulate them. And some of them, we're done with our eggs by about, about between 37 and 42 or 3, we're sort of done with our eggs. And males continue to make sperm until like the moment they're in the grave. <laughs> Not fair sometimes. The biological clock so different, but there's a purpose for it. It's um, a difference. Yes, it's different because we women, I mean, it's, you know, think about the poor female body. We have to make that all of the female body has to do, you know, we have to, the, the, the pregnancy takes a huge amount out of the right. female body and, you know, breastfeeding and the care and tending of helpless infants, human, you know, human, human mothers, um, you know, just put a lot of calories and energy and everything into the offspring. Males do too, but it's not the same toll on their body. Right. Right. Well, final question for you, something that you had said earlier that I wanted to come back to. You talked about the depression that you saw in young girls uh, in comparison to young boys around the age of puberty, that girls were typically more depressed once they hit that age of puberty than men. What do you find post-menopause? Where is the depression level? Do you see it shift? Does it change? So interestingly enough, if you look at the curve with that two to one ratio, the time that it starts to change a bit is at age 50. And it gets to be more, it gets to be closer to the one-to-one ratio. And they don't really know why, but they know that depression in men starts to increase around 50. Hmm. So it's almost like the males have kind of come up to join us, whatever. So, um, yes. So it's, uh, you know, I still, because I treat a lot of women with, with depression and anxiety and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a time when, and women are getting all kinds of tools in their toolbox to try to help themselves, whether they have, you know, mood issues or whatever kind of issues they have. But the, the males, I think, sort of catch up with us. So something about the hormonal, the hormonal uh, fluctuations in the female brain seems to be what gave that two to one ratio that starts in puberty. And of course, teenage girls, um, you know, are in a, there's a mental health crisis in this country with teenage right. girls and with teenage boys as well, as we, as we really know. So it's something that, um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate and obsessed with trying to improve the mental health system in our country. I think it really, really, you know, all of us, all of us would benefit if the mental health system were in better shape in, in our country as it is in some other countries that are, um, equally, equally rich to us. <laughs> yeah, I think you're so right. And there's so much that we can learn about the brain and what it means. And this is why this is such a great resource for those interested in getting it. Again, it is called The Upgrade. Dr. Luann Brissendine, thank you so much for writing this book and also joining us on She Thinks Today. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to your audience for listening. Yes, thank you all for listening. I want to let you know before you go, Independent Women's Forum does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. An investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. So please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That's iwf.org backslash donate. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or review. It does help. And we'd love it if you shared this episode so that your friends can know where they can find find more she thinks. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for watching.